Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the paediatric medical education podcast. Remember, you can hear our entire back catalogue of episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and of course our SoundCloud. So please tell your colleagues and friends and hit that subscribe button. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to another ACP special of Two Peds in a Pod um, podcast. I'm Emma, I'm an advanced clinical practitioner currently working in Children's Emergency Department in Derby and I'm joined today by um, Chris and Laura and we're going to talk about working in children's emergency. Hi, yeah, so I'm Chris, I'm a paediatric advanced clinical practitioner as well. I work out of Nottingham Children's A&E. I think I qualified about two and a half years ago. And guess what? I'm a PEDS ACP too, <laughs> Children's Emergency Medicine. Um, my name's Laura and um, I work in the Children's Emergency Department at the North Norwich Hospital. Um, and I've been doing it for about four years now. Did you did you say how long you've been doing it forever? Or was uh, it just me? No, I didn't because I got oh, really didn't. nervous. <gasps> okay, so I've been working in Derby since 2014. I moved over from a paediatric general ward where I was putting myself through um, my master's degree. Um, and Derby took me on as a trainee and I completed my training in 2015. So you've been you're the you're the old person of the course. You've I am. Got, you're the experienced <laughs> You're the one we're all going to follow. <laughs> you can perhaps say that. So what do you do on it? What's your day-to-day look like, Emma? So for me, I um, purely work in paediatrics. Um, so we have a separate uh, children's department in uh, Derby and I can be found in all areas of the, the department. So on a day-to-day clinical basis, that would be um, anything from helping out with triage when the nursing um, staff need assistance to picking up patients, whether they be minors or um, majors and seeing them through their treatments, initiating investigations and pulling together plans to see the patient care through. How about you, Laura? What does your clinical day look like? Well, um, very similar. We, um, we've got quite a small department at the moment, but looking at plans at how we can expand. So um, we kind of don't have, whilst we've got separate resus, we haven't got separate and a majors and minors. So all our patients are kind of pulled through one clinical area. But again, seeing whatever comes through the door, treating, making plans for discharge or referring on where needed. Same as you, I work purely in peds. Having said that recently with the pandemic, I have supported the adult side a little bit, but feel very out of my comfort zone. I feel like I've missed that pandemic. <laughs> it's been, we've been quite fortunate. So I work in, yes, like you both, I work purely in paediatrics. Um, that's all I, all I look after on a day-to-day basis. To be fair, during the pandemic, we we saw a real downfall in footfall to, to children's TV. Um, that's by the by, this is a pandemic podcast. Cool. Um, but, yeah, so I suppose as as Emma you said, like uh, my my day is pretty much seeing patients from arrival to discharge, whether that be discharged home or discharged uh, onto a ward, um, and just seeing that undifferentiated patient. And whether they present with injury, whether they present with illness, whether they present as trauma, 
Um, and, that, and we do see that in, in Children's A&E in Nottingham. We're looking at how we can get the ACPs involved in trauma management because one of the major trauma centres. And essentially, from my point of view, there's very little to differentiate between what I do and what a typical junior doctor would do in Children's A&E. I mean, our A&E doesn't have a short stay unit. So I suppose one thing that we might do slightly differently to other units, and I think you, you could probably pick up on this a bit, Emma, because uh, like, I know you've got a short stay unit attached. I don't know what you do, Laura, but there's also that, that decision of when does a patient need admission to a ward? When do they need just a bit of observation on a short stay unit? When are they okay to go home? And that's, that's something which is sometimes a, a bit of a challenge. How, how does that affect you, Emma? Yeah, so very, um, very similar, really. That's a big part of um, of our role. Um, we're quite, uh, we're quite fortunate in Derby in that we have a team of EMPs, um, and so they very much take care of the trauma and the, the minor injury that comes through the department. Um, so we're left with the medical stuff. Um, we do have a, a short stay unit, and we can have the decision to keep patients for a short period of time and observation. And that gives us the flexibility for those patients, such as the viral wheezes, that might not need to come in overnight, but might need to stay with us for a few hours longer. We can place them down there and continue to deliver care to them. That's often challenging in itself, having patients down on the observation unit, as well as the patients that you're caring for in the department. However, we've got quite a good um, sense of team spirit in Derby, and we're all really good at pulling together to make sure that all the patients are, are safe and cared for. I think it is challenging making that decision about whether a patient needs to be admitted to the observation unit or actually whether we need to cut our losses and just admit the patient. And, and that is that's often uh, you know you sat there with that decision in your hand but again we're really well supported in Derby with an excellent team of um, consultants and registrars who will help to guide you through that process and that decision making which is, is fantastic. I think we're much the same as you Chris we haven't got a short stay and in some ways Emma I think it's we've got a bit of an easier decision than you have when you're thinking about kind of do I admit to short stay or do I admit actually we don't have that decision to make if they need more than the kind of four hours we've got then they get third from my point of view and carry on that period of observation on on the children's assessment unit. So do you have Laura weeks one of the things that we've got set up is for those patients who probably need a little bit longer observation but maybe don't need admission so I'm thinking typically of the kid that's ingested maybe some essential oils that probably don't need to be admitted overnight or for a long period but they need six hours observation and you're not able to do that in the department do you have like a nurse-led discharge that you can kind of set up so that when they go to the ward that you kind of write that get it signed off by someone and then the nurses on the ward can discharge them after a certain amount of time or is that not something you guys have no it's not so that's we would formally refer to peds and peds would would follow up that care um so our nursing staff are come under women's and children's directorate but from a medical staff point of view we come under emergency medicine so it's kind of that cross directorate working so they would get formally referred so i guess you have quite a higher number of patients that you don't see through to completion because that's one of the things that i really like about having the short stay unit Um, and one of the things that drew me to the role actually is being able to see patients through from their arrival at the front door to completion of their care and the observation unit really helps us to be able to do that it's quite a number of 
patients that, like you say, the accidental ingestions, the viral wheezes, kids that just need a little bit of investigation, but probably don't need to come in. That's quite nice yeah. to be able to see the end of their care. Yeah, there is a proportion that we don't get to, to follow up, although we now all use the same computer system. So we can see what has happened to our patients and things, which makes it a bit better. Um, but still, I don't think we refer masses of patients. So I don't think it's a massive proportion. Most of the patients I see still get seen through and, and discharged home. So And sometimes it's nice to be able to hand them on to someone else, to be honest. Sometimes you, you get to sort of four hours like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of feel that someone else needs to take fresh eyes at this case. So there is uh, a cheeky little, I know this isn't the best referral in the world, but... Uh, I'd appreciate you guys uh, taking a look at this for me. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's because I'm a bit naughty. But... Short attention spans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why I work relatively well in AD. Yeah, so same I, here. Absolutely. No chance of getting bored doing the same thing all the time. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, so... We talked in the last, or we didn't talk, but in the last ACP um, podcast, they talked about the other four pillars of advanced practice and how, as an advanced practitioner, that's kind of core to what we do. And clinical, I think we can all, anyone who looks at my job, and I'm sure the same for you guys, can readily see how I fulfil the clinical pillar. Yeah, um, But when it comes to the other three of research, education and leadership, maybe that's not quite so obvious. So what do you guys do to show development in your other pillars of advanced practice? So I think for me, research is probably the hardest one to show that you're doing something. Though crazily, I've just applied to do a professional doctorate. I don't know why, but thought while I've kind of not had much time off studying, let's go for it. Because I'm really keen on kind of trying to improve things and, and get doing a little bit of research I guess from a research perspective most of my focus is looking at kind of doing that kind of critical appraisal of papers and things and to try and encourage the team to do that I've set up a journal club recently so we're all doing a little bit of kind of appraisal of, of research at the moment but I'd quite like to get involved in a little bit of research and crazily enough, the thing that I want to look at when it comes to my professional doctorate would be kind of our role in education within emergency medicine, because you see so many people doing so many different things. I really want to get an idea of what people are doing and, and where we can go with education from kind of an ACP point of view, what type of education we can deliver. That's a seamless um, link there. It's <laughs> your next pillar. <laughs> Totally not done on purpose. <laughs> That's really interesting, Laura. Um, and I, I would agree when it comes to doing that um, yearly appraisal, you sort of sit down with your portfolio and you think, right, I've got stacks for my clinical. How about the other three? Um, and I, I think the, the same as you, actually. It's always that research pillar where it is very much about making sure that we're up to date with research in making sure that we're delivering the best practice that we can. However, in terms of being involved with research at the moment, for myself personally, it's quite minimal. But I do quite a bit in the education pillar. I think that's really interesting what you're doing. So I think for me, I'm, I'm completely different to you guys, because like, I think research is probably the pillar that's most misunderstood, because I think actually, you're probably involved in research more than you think you are. Um, because to me, 
research is about maintaining a current evidence base in practice. So just reading papers, like getting involved in Twitter in the FOMED movement, is going to be having a look at what's going on. And then when you find out, hang on, this new innovation, could this benefit our department? That's research. When you're looking at like doing audit, because most ACPs are involved in audit in some way, whether that be primarily leading or being involved in data collection for an audit, like that's research. And that's research that's direct to practice. I think when people think of research, we think of it as this pie in the sky, I'm going to go and do a randomized control trial and save the world. And that's fine. Um, and that, that is research. And that's really important. And I'm not suggesting that, that that's invalid at all. But for me, research is about how can I bring what's already known into my current practice? And how can I bring these developments that are being brought forward into what we're doing? So I think actually kind of what Laura said, and I suppose what Emma said as well, there is this real link between research and education. And although we have them as separate pillars, I really don't think that you can think of them as separate. Because when you're involved in education, you're actively involved in research in the research pillar because you're taking you're looking at what does the research say so let's talk about lumbar punctures for example i said because i know Emma, you're involved in the teaching of lumbar punctures what does the research say around best practice in lumbar punctures when should we not be doing them when should we be doing them right and i'm now going to take that research take that evidence and use that to change practice and make practice better and make practice safer and, and I suppose I'm a bit biased because I love research. I work with our research team and I've been involved in recruitment for trials. I sit on the research and innovation ACP panel at Queen's. So I've got a bit of a bias towards research, but I do think it's misunderstood. And I do think that it's the one pillar that all ACPs sit there thinking, oh, research, like the others I can kind of see how I do in my day-to-day practice, but this one just, it just seems airy and wishy-washy. But actually... It really is there, and it's really important to all of us. Sorry, that's my higher hall. I'm down. I've got off the box. No, that's really interesting because I hadn't thought about it like that. No, me either. That is so, so true. And I think, I don't know about you guys, but I'm coming up to credentialing with Archem at the moment. So kind of evidence in the four pillars has been really easy because it's all covered by the Archem curriculum. But I'll probably have to think a little bit more about it after September (laughs) and about how I can and what I'm going to do going forward although I'm quite keen for kind of research service development keep my hand in management and all that kind of stuff so I don't think it'll be difficult but we will see. No that's a really helpful way of looking at it Chris and actually you've managed to um, make me fill a little bit more of my portfolio now thinking about it the way that you do because actually yeah I am quite heavily involved in education and the promotion of FOMED and with and within the department distributing um, education and best practice so actually you're right I am quite involved in research so nice little pat on the back there for myself <laughs> I suppose education is one that people most readily think of as the as the easiest one to to hit isn't it because actually I don't know about you guys I, I do teaching for nurses when the new nurses come in or do kind of ad hoc teaching for them on topics that they feel uncomfortable with when the SHOs are around we do kind of some teaching for them if they need it education is there and Emma, and we've both been involved pre-pandemic regional teaching days. Um, yeah. So Nottingham and Derby, for those of you that don't know, are relatively close to each other. And it's not like football. There's not the rivalry. 
it was very much more we're able to learn from each other. So we used to have quarterly regional teaching that we were both involved in, which has been great. And hopefully once the pandemic starts to tail off a little bit, we can get that restarted again. Um, do you have anything like that down with you, Laura? Well, not anything that's PED specifics. There has been some regional stuff done, but we haven't done it for a while, but nothing PED specific. I'm not sure how many PEDS ACPs are around in the, the East region, but I'm really keen to do a bit of kind of networking and, and get to know some of them. I think it would be really great for us all to be able to work work together. We've definitely found that the regional days are, they're invaluable to see what our neighbours are doing and their practice is often slightly different than ours. And so learning from them and them learning from us and, and us all coming together and having that opportunity to share what we've been doing, it's been really great. And we've had some absolutely fantastic teaching from guest speakers on those days. Yeah. It's been brilliant. Maybe you'll find from this, Lord, you'll get loads of people tapping you up on Twitter being like... Oh, I, I work in Ipswich. I work. That's me assuming Norwich is near Ipswich. This is, this is my knowledge right? of the East. Like, they are, they are our, our local football rivalry. Yeah, well, that, so that's kind of how I knew they must be close because there is a rivalry. But um, like, maybe you'll find there are people who are around the area who are like-minded, who listen to this and can yeah. get in contact. Yeah, that'd be really good. So I guess we've talked about um, our educational pillar and we've realised that we fulfil our research pillar probably more than we actually think. And we all know that we're fulfilling that clinical role. So how about leadership? How do you guys feel you fit into a leadership role within your departments? I think whilst we don't lead the department, often we are still providing leadership support to the nursing staff, particularly if there's junior staff on a shift, you know, we're supporting them running the shift and doing it from that perspective. And again, when we've got junior doctors working with us, providing them with a little bit of leadership as to how the children's department runs and things. So we're doing that. And kind of thinking more widely about leadership, thinking about the other bits and pieces that fall under it, things like service improvement and things. I think they all come under leadership a little bit, don't they? So any kind of service improvement projects. And whilst leadership and management are different, we still also do a little bit of the management type stuff when it comes to incidents they're different but we think of them together don't we yeah i think the question i suppose comes down to what is leadership doesn't it let's be honest like if, if you're thinking that leadership is standing at the front leading the charge then maybe we don't do that as, as much but I, I mean i think i i try to act as a good role model in the department i try to act in a way that's professional and fulfills the expectation of me as a senior within the department because like i'm being paid a decent wage to act in this capacity as an acp and a lot of that is because of the roles and responsibilities that i'm expected to uptake but because i've been given this position there's an expectation that i'll behave in a way that's in line with with trust values and behaviors and professional values and behaviors and i think by role modelling that, other people can see that actually this is the way to behave. This is the way that we should be doing things. Yeah. I don't think I get it right all the time. Um, I think I'm human. I know that we all make mistakes, but it's trying to learn from those and make the department better in that way. I, I completely agree. And I think that by sitting at that interim between the, the medical and nursing model, I think that we, we do have a leadership role. And when we, you know, we have quite a lot of junior staff that will rotate through the department and we are a constant in that department. And we know how the department runs, the things that are important to keep the flow of patients through the department. But we also have that nursing insight as well, what the nursing staff need in order to fulfil what we need in our 
practitioner role when seeing those patients. And I think that we have a really valuable leadership role. And I feel quite valued in my role. And I feel that I contribute well to that leadership. And I think it's important that we are given those opportunities. And I think there's a lot that we can achieve within our departments. And I think it's really nice to be able to, like you say, lead by example and um, show the way forward. And, and that's that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that kind of thinks about like going forward then. So 10 years time, how do you see the role of developing within where you guys are? I can't see myself working as a junior doctor SHO for the next 20, 25 years of my career. I think burnout is a, is a big risk if you're doing that. So what kind of development opportunities and leadership opportunities are available to you guys? I suppose, Laura, you've touched on this already with your clinical PhD application. Yeah, so we're a new team. We've only been in most of us in post kind of three or four years, five maybe maximum. So we're really kind of been thinking about where we go and what we do. And I think for me, developing that kind of nurse consultant role is something that's on my radar as a whole EDACP team with, with our adult ACPs, they've just recently advertised an adult nurse consultant role. So I'm hoping that in the future we may well feel the need for a PEDS nurse consultant role as well. And I think the big thing for us from a service development point of view, and I guess my personal professional development falls into this as well, is that we're looking at the development of a new department at the moment. So I'm sure that when that comes into place, there will be plenty of opportunity for, for further development. So That's we've just also, yeah, it's really exciting. We've also appointed some new PEM consultants and PEDS consultants recently. So just waiting for them all to come into post so and see where we all kind of fit together and, and what that can bring to our IACP development as well. So really excited about that. Oh, cool. So we've started off as a quite a small team when I started in Derby in 2014. There was only three members of the, the team. There was two qualified and myself, who was a trainee. And we've grown quite a lot over the last five years. And we're now doubled in size. So there's six of us. And there's opportunities within the, the trust at the moment. They're looking at restructuring um, team leadership. Um, so there may be a step up and step down opportunity to lead our ACP paediatric team where you'll get the opportunity to be lead ACP for a period of time and then step back down so that you can then give somebody else the opportunity but also then move on to something else yourself. That's a really good idea isn't it? Absolutely yeah I was really excited about the opportunity and I I think there's going to be um, more opportunities in terms of education and things and that's the area where I hold the most interest and I'm considering doing a PG cert in clinical education and that's where I think I'll probably move on to next is to get more experience and more more education about that area. That's really cool. I mean, I think I'm quite lucky in where where I am because Queen's is pretty forward thinking in many ways. So we had, and I'm going to get this wrong, so forgive me Amber Brister if you're listening. We had uh, one of our ACPs was clinical lead the entire ED for a while. And she's now deputy clinical lead. We've just started to appoint ACPs as ABs as senior ACPs. So to actually be working in that senior role. And the advantage of that is you're like we're then getting more non-clinical time to take on other projects, which then allows you to do things like you're talking about, like doing your PG certs and doing your 
PhDs. I think, being completely honest, looking at it at the moment, trying to take on something with that much responsibility with the amount of non-clinical time I'd have, it would be very difficult. We've got a, a lead ACP for the trust who sits very high in the leadership role and is, is developing stuff for ACPs throughout the whole of NUH. Um, so he was ED by background, but has now moved into that kind of clinical leadership management role trust-wide. So I think there's lots of opportunities that way. And I was really fortunate. I had a chat with James and he was very, very open and frank with me and said he would rather promote people and give people more CPD time because actually retention of staff is much more valuable to them as a a trust. And it's much better to retain experienced staff where possible than start people from training at scratch again, both from loss of knowledge, but also from cost. So the amount to train an ACP is significant, um, not just through university time, obviously, but through funding consultant time. So I'm really fortunate to have James and Amber and Trailblazing. And now we've got uh, 28B, so Andy and Craig, who are going to be leading our children's ED department. So I count myself really fortunate. I think the whole ACP thing is really exciting at the minute, isn't it? There's so much opportunity for you to develop and progress without going up the management route and keeping your kind of clinical skills up. I'm so excited about it all. And I think that's a really important message to give, isn't it? Because, you know, we all went into this role because we love the clinical aspect of it. You know, for myself personally, seeing and treating patients, I absolutely love it. It is what I envisage the role to be. However, doing that every day for the rest of your career is quite daunting. And so to know that there's other opportunities and other doors to walk through once you've done your training and you're up and running is is really exciting. And I think it sounds like you've both got really exciting paths ahead of you which is great to hear so is that why you like the job Emma is that your thing you like the most I love it I think for me my favorite patient to see would be a new mom who's worried about her baby and just being able to alleviate those worries deal with the problem and send everybody home happy is just for me just gives you that really warm sense of of satisfaction that you've helped a family out and yeah absolutely I love that kind of thing How about you guys? What's your reason for entering the roles that you have? I think I kind of touched on it a little while ago, you know, the ability to remain clinical but still develop my career. But I love ED because it's different every day. I'm doing different things. Well, not just every day, is it? It's, you know, patient to patient. Everything is different. And a bit like you, Emma, those patients that come in that are really, really worried about their child, actually just giving them that support that information and being able to alleviate those fears I find myself saying all the time you've not wasted my time I'd rather see you for 10-15 minutes and put your mind at rest than you're worrying all night at home that's what I'm here for type thing and that the look of relief on parents faces is just great yeah I agree so I agree with both of you what you're saying and and I'm not going to turn around and say I don't love sending patients home because that's primarily what I do with, all, with most of my kids and I love getting patients home I'm a PICU nurse before doing ED and there's a big part of me that's still intensive care. Um, and then, so there's a big part of me that, that just thrives on that critically sick kid coming in, high stress, let's just focus, everyone's heads down, we've all got a job to do, let's sort this kid out and get them to a better place. And there's, there's something about that situation that I enjoy being involved in, not at the time, but afterwards. And I think for me, ED, one of the things that you don't get is you don't get that thanks that you get on ITU. So ITU, you care for these patients for a week. The families are really thankful. Whenever you read in the news about the kid that's gone to ITU, it's always like the ITU doctors saved my life. And thank you so much to the ITU team. 
And there's very little thought about the ED team that did that initial stabilisation. Actually, if that hadn't happened, that situation probably wouldn't have ended as well as it did. And that's not me trying to blow our own trumpet. But actually, at first, I found that really difficult. I felt like, hang on a minute, why are we not getting recognition? But actually, I don't really feel like I need that recognition. I know I've done a good job. So being able to see that parent going up to ITU or that patient going on to the ward and then later following up and hearing that they made a full recovery and then having that discussion with the consultant body or with the registrar body or with the other ACPs about like, what did we do here? What was suboptimal? Like, how could we improve? How could we make this better for the next patient? Is something that I'm really passionate about and I really love. And I think the thing that I love most about my day job is that there's always something to learn. There's always something new and there's always a way to make the next patient's journey or the next ACP's journey or the next junior doctor's journey better yeah. and safer. And I think that's great. And, and I love that. And, and I love the fact that I have a really short attention span <laughs> and that um, I can go from um, a department with no patients to a two and a half an hour, three hour, four hour wait within two hours. And then six hours later, the department can be empty again. And that uh, I love the fact that I don't know what I'm walking into. And I may think at the start of the shift, this is going to be amazing. There's nothing going on. I'm going to get loads of management stuff done. And then all of a sudden, there's two sick patients and that's it for the rest of the day. Or there's a young person who comes in who has taken an overdose and is having a real cry for help. And you can make a real difference to that young person because you can show that someone cares and that you can take the time and you can listen to them and make them feel that actually they're not on their own. Yeah. And it's those little things, those little patient contacts that really make the difference. And yeah. really, when you get home, make you think actually, no matter how, no matter how the day's gone, no matter how low I'm feeling, I can look back and think I've made a difference to someone's life. And there is a little ray of hope somewhere that maybe there wasn't before. And yeah. And that's great. And I love that. I think that that's, that's really important, isn't it? I think the, the variety that ED brings is vast. And like you say, no two days are ever the same. You will see different things. You will come across different challenges. But there's always a positive. No matter how bad that day is, there will always be that sense that you, you know, you've made a difference. You, you have achieved something. And, and like you say, Chris, there's always room for improvement and there's always room for learning and taking that forward. And I think it's fantastic myself and the team that I work for we've got quite a a range of different interests and so we have people like yourselves Chris that absolutely love the intensive stabilization of a a really sick patient and then the people that prefer the the quick in out and sort you out and and package you on so it it, yeah I think there's there's always it doesn't matter what your special interest is or your background where you've come from there's always a place for you within a team in the yeah I think it's great isn't it like such a variety of stuff you can do and whilst I talked about enjoying kind of the helping parents and getting my patients home I do like a bit of recess as well so so try and get get a bit of time in there although we've seen a lot less kind of sick children recently I think you have to enjoy it don't you yeah you couldn't you couldn't do our job if you didn't if you weren't able to work with particularly sick patients absolutely absolutely and that is the beauty of ed isn't it you kind of can dip in with a little bit of everything that's why i really love doing it thanks guys i think that's great i think it's been great to chat to you and just share the joy and share the wisdom and the laughs around working in ed because you do have to have a laugh working in ed i don't think you can uh, get away without uh, having a sense of humor There'll be more podcasts from Two Peds in a Pod coming up shortly, and there'll be another couple on ACPs in the coming month. So thank you for your time. 
and uh, speak to you later. That's been great. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, no worries. Bye. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast this week. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends and colleagues and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, our SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.